What is going on, everybody? We are back behind the mic. Frank and Aaron here. We got David as well, and we have a very special guest, longtime friend of Kefaru, survival expert, very fit man, Kevin Estella. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> we, how do I come back? We, uh, we're just back from... Uh, Unbelievable uh, fisherman. We call it... I think. You, you've, heard, you've, heard of, <laughs> you've heard of bow hiking. This one was called fish hiking. But uh, what's up, Kevin? How's it going? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm excited that you called me an incredible fisherman because we all caught the same number of fish. <laughs> <laughs> you caught a squirrel, so chipmunk. Yeah, that's right. Mm, I got to see that photo later on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a rough go. Um, we went, so we recently went um, on a backpacking trip to go into a, a lake fishing. And uh, Amy and I left a little bit early and uh, it was semi smooth sailing until we crossed the first major creek crossing and then everything kind of just spiraled down the shitter. I had texted Frank on the inReach and said, Hey, I'm going to the lower lake uh it doesn't look like i'm on a trail on the map but i'm on a trail for sure just follow our tracks take the second left and then i hope for the best that you guys actually got that message and then as, as amy and i climbed in it, it it really got worse and worse i'll let you guys take it from there on your experience on the hike in yeah well we uh i didn't check my messages because while well, i was driving um down to the trailhead and, and then i got all of your messages at once and then i think i told these guys that you know, you'd send a bunch of messages, and then the last one said, this fucking blows balls. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was my last message. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the hike, most of the hike was, was pretty good, I, I think, and then we hit that deadfall in uh, post-hauling, and it got a little interesting from there. Yeah, it was probably three to five feet deep, I would say, in snow, most of the, well, two to five, I guess, uh, and then, yeah, there was a massive windstorm that went through, so there's quite a bit of deadfall. You know, I think it's funny. You guys, for, uh, you're skipping over that creek crossing, and it kind of reminds me, since we were just talking about Leonardo DiCaprio before we got on, Blood Diamond, where they're talking about, like, short sleeve, long sleeve. Like, we either could have crossed where we'd have to jump from one icy rock to another or walk across the two logs that we ultimately chose to walk across. And, uh, and that part sucked, too. Uh, you know, there's no keeping your feet dry. So where you, I think you guys crossed the same spot I did, um, I would imagine anyway. The, the 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 coming back that crossing was much better than the one going over. Yeah, the first one was a little interesting. It was a little slick there. There wasn't really a it, the water was was cranking over those two logs and it it was a little slick for sure. I was glad to have the trekking poles. Yeah, I was trying to put my poles in the water to get a little stabilization. And they went down like I don't know four feet. Shit. <laughs> 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 uh, how was the hike in for you guys as far as the, the snow part? Did you guys follow my tracks all right? Yeah, I think that was probably the most helpful part was just following your tracks. And you kind of, yeah, you did the trailblazing for us. So yeah. we were until pretty he, thankful for that. Until he, you went uh, balance beam style. Yeah, I started going on logs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went in the heat of the day. So externally, I wasn't like outwardly, I wasn't saying a whole lot because. Amy seemed to be in a relatively good mood, but internally I had Tourette's syndrome. Um, I had a 50 some pound pack and then I'm 215 and it was the heat of the day. So I didn't make it very far without falling balls deep. Um, and then, you know, from my perspective at a certain point, uh, I couldn't find the trail anyway. I'm like, uh, I told Amy, I said, I'm just going to shoot straight up and, uh, you know, just start heading to the lake. And then probably four times in a matter of 15 minutes, I think I looked at the distance on base map from the lake to give me some false hope 
you know, so like 600 yards normally take like no time at all. And then it got down to 300 and it got to 168 yards. And I'm like, well, I, I got to be able to see the lake. And I started looking and I'm like, fuck, the lake is frozen solid. That's why I can't <laughs> see it through the trees. It's white. <laughs> and uh, so we, we got up to it and, and Amy and I started pitching camp or whatever that we just, we used bivvies and a tarp. And then we could see um, a little bit of uh, where the inlet was that there was a little bit of cleared, you know, a little bit of space to try and fish. We got over there and we didn't see any fish. And then, well, I guess you can take it from here, Frank, because you learned that they killed all the fish in the lake. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that first morning we found a little bit of open water on the inlet and then pretty close to it. And we were casting out there and it's kind of strange. Just didn't see, normally I think you would see some minnows maybe swimming in the shallows or you'd see a couple fish here and there just patrolling um, that inlet and we didn't see anything. And, uh, I, uh, didn't check my Instagram messages before I came in, but that morning when we were like sitting around, I was able to open Instagram and it, it, I didn't have internet connection, but I could still read the messages. And, um, a guy that was here actually yesterday at the shop, he was like, Hey, I don't know if you can see this or not, but, uh, I believe they killed all the fish in that drainage, which in the end was the case. (laughs) (laughs) so we got a lot of slingshot shooting uh in and uh you tied a would you have a pistachio uh that was a a cashew i was doing a little uh chipmunk fishing or uh chipmunk wrangling and you know for those of you that have never tried it chipmunks are greedy little bastards and they works best with a peanut like with a like a hard shell because depending on the size of the chipmunk that chipmunk will put the whole peanut in its mouth and you can reel them in and, and like they don't want to let go like they're they're greedy so they'll they'll dig their front paws in and, and pull back and yeah it's good fun yeah. <laughs> as, a, as an added description you don't put a hook on there it's just That's, that is yeah, true yeah yeah, yeah yeah we were just doing it to have fun so just please, plain no hate mail for god's sake yeah you just tie the line around the nut yeah and then uh <laughs> let him then, bite the nut yeah play a little tug of war it's kind of funny to watch yeah we're still talking about chipmunks right <laughs> yeah uh yeah because we we i had told amy at one point i was like i hope they didn't go to the upper lake and then i thought well i hope nobody got altitude sickness and then i thought well, man i hope nobody snapped a leg and it was getting close to dark and I, she's like are you gonna hike and go find them and i'm like well if they had to pitch a tent somewhere in the middle there, it's got to be between the creek and up here. I'll just go look in the morning, and then like half hour, you guys later, you guys came through. So, about I guess you guys were there what forty five minutes before dark. Yeah, yep. and Frank then Frank cooked deer dicks. Deer dicks, <laughs> yeah. I brought uh, about ten uh, Italian sausages in, whitetail Italian sausages. Luckily, we did. We were kind of planning on eating some fish that night, but. No dice on the fish. Yeah, thank no. goodness we brought food. So that's the third lake that's happened. Fourth lake, I think that's happened to us where they killed. Yeah, that happened to us last year. Yeah, what what is it called again? Ro- starts with an R. They put in Rotnode. 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 Kill all your fish node. Um, and it was funny because I called the guy that came in there after we did the first time, and said uh, on the hike in, I said not bad so far, and let him know because they're going to come in today. And then uh, we got. In, in that post holing, and I said, I can see the lake, it's frozen over, this sucks, rough hike in. And then I had service coming out, and I called him, and I don't think he believed me because he was like, I had somebody tell me there was no fish in there, uh, you know, last year, and we we did, we did great. And I'm like, well, look, they, they killed them all. You can hike in if you want. I, I mean, why why would I lie, basically? But um, I, th- 
I, I, this guy, I'm sure we could have made a phone call and found out um, that they killed them all in there or whatever, but I didn't, I, I don't know, I guess you just call the local ranger district or whatever and they would tell you. Yeah, I read an article on there and or one of a few different articles and it said that like the division of wildlife was a little frustrated because people were upset when they got to the trailhead and found out there weren't any fish, but it's, I guess it's something that most people don't necessarily look for. I didn't think to look for it and it happened to us last year. So I think that's information that's probably available. It's, but it's kind of like an afterthought, um, for, for most situations. I didn't, I had no idea it was going to happen. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You, you think about it. We almost had a little bit of a red flag right before we started hiking in when we found that notice that said that there is no limit to what you <laughs> yeah. could catch either. Like, this fishing is going to be awesome. Why would they do that? You know, no limit whatsoever. Take as many fish as you want, all species. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did have a, peop- a few people hit me up and ask why that happened. And it looked like it was basically just a conservation effort to restore native species of trout into that particular waterway since it's kind of a its own secluded or isolated waterway that that doesn't have uh, any other means of, of fish to, to infiltrate it. So basically the strategy was kill everything and then replace it with just the species that they wanted in there. Which they haven't done any of the replacing yet. <laughs> yeah, the replacing <laughs> has yet to happen. <laughs> They'd have a little bit of chipping to do to put the fish in there now. <laughs> No kidding. It was getting fairly thawed by the time we we left. When I well, meaning there was quite a bit of shore shoreline, and I mean there was plenty of shit swimming around as far as bugs, and we weren't seeing any fish. So it uh, yeah, it was depressing. Amy and I we went over there to the where the inlet is, and uh, I think I casted like fifteen times and packed my shit up and was like, "There's no fish here." Because usually those high lakes, when it starts to thaw, they're pretty much uh, piranhas. Um, <laughs> Isn't that what they say in Trailer Park Boys? Peronicus. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it. I don't know. It wasn't. It's not that far of a hike into that that lake in reality. But um, I definitely had the hero load because the hike in is relatively easy when you're not post holing. So with 55 pounds of shit, I was not overly happy. I brought three camera lenses and what's that one DX weigh nine pounds. I'm I'm not sure, but it's too much. Whatever it is, it's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> I did get good photos though. So. Yeah. The body of that yeah. weighs nine pounds. It's maybe it might be six. Oh it's my heavy. Gosh. Yeah, with yeah. the lens, it's probably nine pounds, huh? Yeah. Well, and I brought freaking three lenses, and all, none of those were light. <laughs> <laughs> got good pictures though. Yeah. Uh, I definitely would have packed totally differently than I mean, shelters and stoves were fine, but there was a lot of crap I would have not brought, knowing what we went to or did. <laughs> Yeah, well, like we were talking with Trevin the other day, I think it's uh, even if you do pack a little extra weight, it's kind of it's good training for hunting season because considering you're carrying a bow and then kill kids and all this all that extra stuff that you take hunting, it kind of gets you acclimated. And uh, I, d- I definitely was it was nice to see the mountain biking because I haven't been doing as much backpack cardio, more more mountain biking. I uh, when we were going up that hill, though, I was trying to hear if you were breathing hard because I was. Um, <laughs> and then we stopped, and you were breathing somewhat hard, so I didn't feel too, too bad. But we, we went up that fairly fast. That's one of the reasons I did it. just wanted to check my cardio from mountain mountain biking. David, yeah. you didn't die. Well, speaking of you guys going uphill, <laughs> <laughs> I think my term was uh, one-speed warriors. You guys were hauling ass. You guys were hiking faster uphill than I can go downhill. <laughs> You guys were hiking faster uphill with packs than I could go downhill with no pack. <laughs> These guys are quick. They're, it's no joke. Uh, you can go faster than me now, I think. Before, we were a lot closer, but I'd say 
anymore now. I, I need to step up my game. Well, you could have went faster than I was hiking up that hill, couldn't you? Oh, you're, yeah, you're, probably. Yeah, yeah, you were certainly right behind me. And <laughs> I might have had one more gear, but I don't think I could have hung with you if you got in front of me. And we were moving. <laughs> but it's CrossFitting it up. Yeah, logger fit is what we call it. <laughs> uh, you guys take – I got to make a quick phone call. Kevin, why don't you talk about your gear that, that you brought in because it's different than ours. Um you know, we brought in isobutane stoves. Mm-hmm. You had like a bush buddy. Kind of go over that. And I had people messaging me about you taking that. And I'm like, well, it's pretty simple. Ours is easier until we run out of fuel. And then it's, we, we don't, then now we're carrying something that isn't worth a shit because we don't have any fuel. So talk about a little of that. Yeah. So I'll start with the sleeping arrangement. I used a zero degree slick bag, uh, center zip, slept like a baby every single night. I brought a piece of Tyvek to use as a ground cover. And then uh, I had a big Agnes self-inflating pad for, you know, my, my insulation uh, from the ground. And then uh, overhead was just a Kafaro sheep tarp. Now, I slept under the tarp because I knew that there weren't going to be as many bugs. I didn't need to bring a lot of uh, mosquito netting or anything like that. So, I mean, that's usually how I roll if I want to go super lightweight. I didn't want to uh, skimp on the insulation, though, for the sleeping bag. I messaged Frank and I was like, hey should I bring the Wooby or the zero degree bag? And he's like, bring the zero degree bag. So that was probably the best choice there. I mean, other gear, I mean, I had a possible pouch with all the, the usual stuff in there, like a, you know, Petzl headlamp and, you know, water purification drops and, and things like that. But in terms of that stove, um, the Bush buddy is one of those stoves that, you know, there's a trade off for everything when it comes to stoves. Like if you're using, you know, white gas, it's super, super dangerous because that stuff, you know, pours everywhere. Isobutane canisters are awesome until they run out. Uh, wood burning stoves like the Bush Buddy are great, but they take a long ass time. Um, you know, I was just screwing around with it because we weren't catching fish and I was down by the, by the lake and I was like, all right, let me just bring water to a boil. And with a little bit of a breeze, I mean, it took 25 minutes for that water to, to get to a boil. And that was with me like constantly, constantly throwing in extra twigs and whatnot. But if I move that over to an area where it wasn't so windy, I mean, you could get water to boil in you know, easily half that time. But the beauty of that is, is that you don't have to carry fuel. You just find it. But there are places where you're not going to find fuel, like above tree line and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I like that stove. I like it as, a, as something that's super practical. I mean, for going long distance, you don't have to worry about finding fuel if you stay in an area where there is it. Um, but you just have to understand that you're going to be committing more time to doing something that you could easily do with, say, like an MSR pocket rocket or MSR reactor. I mean, you could do that in minutes where, you know, the bush buddy is going to take significantly, significantly longer. Um, so, again, everything's a trade off, you know. Yeah, it looked like a pretty interesting setup. Um, but, yeah, I could see the practicality of it, especially in, in certain survival situations, because once you're out of fuel, then you're kind of well, pretty well screwed with this, the kind of stoves that we had. And, Especially like last year during COVID, um, during backpacking season, it was it was kind of tough to find fuel for the stoves. I think yeah, yeah. Some people were purchasing fuel just for survival, I guess, and then a lot of people were just getting out camping because there really mm-hmm. wasn't anything else to do. So that was definitely a concern for us: is just finding fuel at REI or even trying to order it online. I'm not sure if you can order it online. Now that I think it's about expensive. It, but yeah. So it was yeah that was a definitely a concern for us last year on if we were going to have to bring different types of food just because we weren't going to be able to boil the water. So that's kind of an interesting setup that you had. Yeah. But I mean, like you look at every, everything that we had, like the similarities, I mean, 
I did a, I did mostly all the stuff I needed to around camp, which was a folding knife. I mean, I brought a small fixed blade, but I didn't use it as much as I, I used my, uh, you know, my, my, you know, bench made. Um, and then in terms of like the other stuff, like puffy jackets ruled the day. You know what I mean? Like everyone else had some type of puffy jacket on super lightweight. Um, you know, temperature swings were pretty wild too. Yeah. You know, like it froze at night and then during the daytime we're in, sitting around in t-shirts, you know, which I don't think people prepare for frequently enough. Like, you know, what are you going to do when the temperature spikes or when it drops? Yeah. Especially in the, like you were saying, when you asked me about the Wobie or the slick bag, mm. I definitely err on the, on the side of, of a heavier sleep system, especially early season, just because you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Um, especially in those high lakes where there's a lot of shade and I, I had trees mentioned to you a couple of times of where we'll have discussions with people online about what we do or why we prefer what we prefer. And they'll have experience maybe less ex- extreme things than, than we have done or been partaking in. And, it, and it's hard to convey, like we we're talking about hammocks, that hammock's comfortable, but I wouldn't want to camp in a hammock in end of May in the Colorado Rockies and, you know, feel confident I'm going to be warm. And you, you will get guys that have done two or three, let's say, elk hunting trips. And, and uh, you know, and this isn't downplaying anyone, but uh, early September uh, weather was nice, um, you know, things of that nature. And, and I told told you guys the, the story of my buddy uh, Derek. I had messaged him when we got to the summit and took a photo, and I said, does this ring a bell? And he's like, you know, it's like came back with motherfucker. I'm still having nightmares over that. <laughs> Cause when we went in, it was May and it was six to eight feet. We post hold all the way to the pass. And then we climbed up where it was clear. And then a storm came in and bl- it blew his shelter down. Um, and you know, so when you get talked about three season tents and four, you know, there's a time, you know, place and space for everything. And I, probably carry a little bit heavier shelter in the earlier season like you guys were talking about when I know I'm going to be maybe a little more exposed or the wind or the weather or the cold and just kind of take that up the ass and the the weight well when you don't do that and let's say you do that three or four times one of those times is probably going to you're going to have one of those what do they call that on Pulp Fiction Uh, a moment of clarity (laughs) where it works until it doesn't. And and I've explained this in many seminars I've done. I'm like, it's almost like the military. They base everything off of the previous war. So if they hiked in really far hike, really high altitude and got smoked, well, now they've become an ultralight backpack hunter. And then they go in with ultralight crap, but then they get a really rough, bad weather that comes in. Now they're like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not an ultralight guy. I suffered too much. And so somewhere in the middle with enough experience, you kind of just learn what you need to, to get. I'm not as bad as Frank. Frank, half the time you pack at the fucking trailhead, right? Like, you know what you need, throws in the duffel bag. And there, there's a, a rough idea of what you need when you're going in. But when you don't know what you need, most guys are getting that info on forums. And some of the info on forums can get you into trouble. Um, you guys have anything to add to that? We've all been in the woods enough. So I will say, so Frank and I and David come from backpack hunting forums, and you're more of following bushcraft forums. Is there as much bullshit on bushcraft forums as there is in backpack hunting oh, forums? Oh, dear God. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like the whole bushcraft survival thing, that's really like my 
like my background. I mean, obviously in Connecticut, I did a lot of fishing, a lot of, a lot of backpack fishing up in like the small little creeks that led into the larger rivers and whatnot. And, you know, uh, you know, some limited, uh, big game hunting. Cause we don't have a lot of, a lot of public space. So all of it was on private property, but, uh, yeah, the bushcraft and the survival community is filled with so much snake water. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, people want to look cool within that community. So everyone wants to wear wool and they want to wear, you know, canvas and, and have leather goods. I mean, every, the big joke is that the, a lot of bushcrafters want to like cosplay Robin hood, or they want to look like, uh, you know, a, a frontiersman. Well, all those ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain. And, you know, yeah, wool is great for when you're around campfires. Like we, we did the little rotisserie, you know, when we were sitting around that campfire this past week, because all those sparks don't react too well, uh, or I should say our clothing doesn't react too well when it's around the sparks. But, uh, you know, all that, all that stuff, I mean, people think like, oh, wool is the best product ever. Well, it's pretty damn good, but I wouldn't just throw out a blanket statement and call it the best. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of guys out there that will say you need to carry this, this, this. You have to have this. Um, there's a lot of gimmicks within the, the bushcraft and survival community. And, you know, a lot of people are, are basing their level of preparation and what they carry off of some guy that might have a very different physical fitness, uh, you, you know, or level of physical fitness or skill set. You know, so what I can do with, say, like a Swiss Army knife, another person might need a larger knife to do. And, you know, next thing you know, people, they, they want to mimic, which is which is flattering. But, you know, I would rather have a person go into the backcountry with the gear that's appropriate for their skill set and their understanding of the great outdoors than for someone to try to look exactly like me. Because, you know, that's that's not going to help them if they if they can't do what I can do, you know. And it, and it sounds cocky or conceited or whatever, but, you know, the truth is, like, I, I know what I can get by with, with certain gear. Um, but for someone who just says, well, if he can do that, I can do that. And they don't have that experience. That's a horrible, horrible, uh, way to, to kind of prepare yourself for something that could go sideways real quickly. Yeah. Uh, Petra's brought this up with, with Hilleberg about, <clears throat> she hasn't been overly thrilled with some of my shelter choices at specific times of the year. Cause I've pushed the limit in a lighter weight shelter because what she worries about, and obviously she's done this for, for years, is someone seeing that, them pushing that limit, not um, maybe getting the guidelines in or, or correctly or reinforcing them, or if their shelter did blow down because they're bringing a, a lighter weight three-season and a four-season environment, do they have the skill set to, uh, to be, you know, to, to make it after that happens? And which I get where she's coming from, but I'm still not packing anything fucking everywhere that I actually have to. She can just keep yelling at me. Um, cause and, and I'm very confident in what those shelters can can handle. But you really don't, you know, if, 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 you, if you backpack hunt as much as, as we do, you, you learn a lot more. But if you backpack hunt seven days a year for elk, the chances of something crisis level happening aren't as big as sheep, goat, high country mule deer. So... As we're kind of going around the horn, uh, we'll just start with you, Frank, and we'll go this way. What was one of those holy shit moments at a certain point in time where you're like, I need to reassess my fucking gear situation because this was a bad choice, <laughs> um, whether it be shelters or sleep system or boots or anything? I think I brought it up the other day when uh, I had a, a quilt that I liked quite a bit. It was a down quilt. It was super lightweight, and I was using a tarp setup, and uh, I just went scouting with a few buddies or a couple buddies, Dan and, and Clinton. And uh, we got caught out in a in a pretty nasty rainstorm, and I was using a tarp that I hadn't seam sealed, so the the water was trickling in on that 
on that spine ridge on the seam of the uh, of the tarp, <clears throat> and I was wrapped up in my quilt, and it was getting wet, and of course it was down, so it was losing all of its loft, and it was getting all all the feathers on the inside were getting all bunched up, and it basically became useless. And luckily, it was just a, like a weekend scouting trip, but that was a situation where I was like, yeah, I think it'd be smart to uh, to probably for a longer trip at least, I would definitely be taking a synthetic bag. Um, it wasn't anything life or death though. I mean, it was summer, the the storm cleared, it, the sun came back out, but it was kind of one of those things where I was, I was happy to, to learn that so that if I was like on a long hunt, then that wouldn't have ended my hunt like, you know, right then. So that was kind of a situation for me, I guess. Anything, any footwear changes you've ever made? <laughs> when I first moved up here to Denver, you let me borrow a pair of Hanvog boots, yeah. but they were like a half size too small. Yeah. And I was still, I still wore them. And, uh, Dude, I rubbed the skin off of both the, <laughs> both of the backs of my uh, of my heels, and uh, and remember, I couldn't get I couldn't get the wound to dry out. So you called um, the dudes from Lathrop, and they're like, "Yeah, you need to put like Epsom salt on there and dry out the wound," and it was nasty. Yeah, so that sucked. So yeah, probably not a good idea to try out new footwear on a backpacking trip. You might want to wear them around the house or around town for a few days and make sure they fit you well. Otherwise, you'll end up with uh, no skin on the heels. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh anything pop out in your mind where you look back and were like that was a bad decision oh well i mean frank was the only one that had gators on the past couple of days and i mean by the time i got to camp i had to take off my my boots dry them out take off my my insoles from the boots dry those out i was borrowing your uh your water shoes which man those things <laughs> i'll never backpack now without a, a pair of like little slippers like that. Cause I mean, that allowed me to walk around the camp, no issues. I mean, I could have gone barefoot, but I mean, it wasn't super cold, but having protection on your feet was smart. Um, you know, we were, we were laughing about hammocks and, you know, I do a lot of hammock camping when I'm back, back East because you know, it's thick woodlands and you can almost always find trees and we're not anywhere near like it is out here where you're in areas where there's no tall trees to, uh, to set up a shelter. Um, summer camping, canoe camping, Right. One of my favorite things to do is, is to have a hammock because I've been in situations where I've set up uh, a shelter on the ground to wake up in the morning and have puddles everywhere. Right. So, you know, there's a time and a place for hammocks. I think in, in wet weather, jungle weather uh, or jungle conditions, uh, places where the ground is going to have a lot of you know ruts or rocks or uneven terrain, hillsides, you know, depending on your, your environment, the hammock is a great idea. And uh, yeah, I would say that the the thing that made me want to go towards hammock camping was a camping trip in 06. Uh, I was up in the Adirondacks and I woke up in a, in a puddle of water um, just because the, we were at the base of a hill, all the, for the time that we were there, it was like three or four days. It just rained constantly and, you know, it was just a, a mess. So I would say that that was a, an eye opening experience was knowing like, okay, in a place where there's going to be a lot of precipitation and, and horrible drainage and, you know, your, your sleeping condition is going to be compromised. The hammock might not be a bad, bad way to go. But as you mentioned, you know, when you get into these hammock camping forums and whatnot, guys are like, well, carry this under quilt and have this extra large tarp and, you know, get these tree straps. And by the time that you, you add up all that gear, it's heavier than a four season tent. So it's like, you know, is it really worth it? Or should you just carry a better shelter and and just kind of be honest with that evaluation of your gear and say, you know, maybe this hammock I shouldn't carry. Well, and I, I just got in, not got in, had a discussion with a guy on a forum 
And uh, what I have found with not all hammock campers is when they give you these scenarios, it is so picture perfect cornered into a hammock makes sense, but they leave out a lot of other potential issues. And it's like, I have back problems. All right. That ha- check in the hammock for some people in the hammock column. Uh, when there's really rough terrain, this is way better. All right. Okay. There's another check. And then I'm like, if okay. There are trees. If, well, and then, but they're leaving that out. That's what I'm talking So, uh, I had posted hammocks are great when the weather's nice, but to get them ready for extreme or, or bad, bad weather conditions, it'll weigh as much as a four season tent. I would go with that. The guy comes back and it's very clear. His version of, of bad weather and mine are, are much different. And, uh, he said, you know, I've been camping and he gave me the whole spiel that this same fucking spiel for the last decade. And I'm like, look, man, I'm not arguing with you that you can make one work. And I'm not arguing with you that it's not better for your back. I said, but are you going to try and tell me at 11,500 feet with 40 to 60 mile an hour winds, you're picking a hammock? I'm like, if you are, more power to you. I just don't think you will be. And he's like, well, no, no, in that situation, I wouldn't. So I listed like six more situations. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't pick it for that. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm not bashing hammocks. I'm just saying when you present your your case, right? Like, let's say if you're dating, right? Well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm handsome, right? I, I'm well endowed. I'm disease-free. Uh, but you leave out the part where you make no fucking money, right? That's, that's important to tell this chick you're dating. Well, if you only highlight the good parts of a hammock, you're, you're leaving a lot of the arc of the story out of what they're negative at. So what's this weekend, we would have been fine with a hammock. Wasn't that cold? Um, but, Frank, how many times on hunts we go on would you pick a hammock? Very few. Maybe, maybe elk hunting, um, but... Where I hunt, yeah, where I hunt mule deer, there's there aren't any trees anyway. I mean, there's those little bristle guns, but you can't hang hang a hammock from those. No, uh, that would be, I you you know what you'd be doing is the part you lay on would suddenly be your cover, and you just put it over <laughs> your sleeping bag, <laughs> wrap up like a burrito. Well, but it it is crazy. People get it's it's like politics or religion. Guys get pretty violent about their they, there's the hammock lovers. I tell you, don't don't talk shit about a hammock. They get all kinds of pissed, and it's like guys, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying. I don't think that would be your first choice for situations that we've been in. But w- where I get argumentative with them is when they're giving advice to a very broad spectrum and leave out the downfalls. And he's like, well, with a four season tent, your back's not going to be as comfortable. I'm like, May- maybe, maybe. Right. But, uh, you know what? Uh, a little bit stiff back in the morning is a lot better because you actually slept in that case than getting blown around like a fucking pinata on the last two trees before tree line. Uh, and, and if you're mule deer hunting, you sure as shit aren't walking down to the timber every day to go sleep and then hiking up to your glassing point. And again, nothing wrong with a hammock. It's just you got to weigh it out. No different than down and synthetic, um, you know, with with wet weather. Yeah, I could sell you on a down bag all day and I use one. But then there's times where you're going to be in fucking trouble if you use a down bag. So it's kind of getting, you know, all four points of the compass of the info out for people to choose. I wouldn't mind having a hammock like like Dave had just for like leisure around yeah. the, around camp. I think that's pretty cool. But relying upon that as your primary shelter and bedding, 
Oh, that thing was as thin as those fucking breezy briefs that you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's more of a novelty item for me. I just bring to camp and just hang out in, but. Well, you I, got cold in your tent, so you got froze yeah. your balls off. In yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine being in a 30 degree bag, having cold air going under you? I, I kind of described it as being between an air conditioner and a freezer. We had ice, <laughs> we had ice on the lake. We had snow above us and it was, it was cold as shit. Can you imagine being, uh, being in a hammock last September when you had that torrential rain for a day and then two feet of snow the next day? Yeah. Well, pl- <sighs> those are the. <laughs> Those are the times where I like I see guys promoting hammocks, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like last you weren't out here, obviously, but mm-hmm. we, what it snowed 18 inches where we were in what September 7th or yeah. something like that, end of the first week, yeah, and uh, was getting into the single digits, and and uh, like when Cody drew back on that one bull, there was a half inch of ice on top of his arrow rest, so I had to break it up with my finger, and I'm like, and I was in a four season tent, and it still wasn't exactly hunky dory. I mean, it was still cold, but uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, are you going to raise your hand and bring in your hammock all proud, pounding your chest and 18 inches of snow? And I, some guys will. I just don't think it's the best option for, for everyone. And there's other, multiple other things, whether it be sleeping pads or footwear, everybody's got their own, you know, two two cents on, on what to bring in. Like, I wouldn't have worn the boots that you guys wore in. Well, yeah. What did you have? Colorado's? Yeah, Colorado's. Yeah, Crispy's. Uh, Salewa Mountain Trainer Light. Yeah, and then you had the Zephyr from. Yeah, I had the Loa Zephyrs. So I was the only one with actually man boots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those all worked. It wasn't like you guys didn't make it, but they're very flexible and not overly. You know, the, that one you had is probably the more durable out of the two or the three that you guys were all wearing. But initially, when we came down the trail into the valley, I was like, I believe I'm a bit overbooted because you could have went in with fucking chacos into that thing. Then we crossed that creek, and I'm like, thank God I brought these because I hardly, my feet hardly got wet. A um, little bit higher, and then obviously uh, they don't, you know, not, not as leaky, but there's people that wear, and we know them. I mean, they're, well, yours are like a little more durable, but I would not want to do a 14-day backpack hunt with that flexible of a, of a footwear with something dying at the end because at this point I've gained a, over a full size in my, my, my boot from width and length because of my arches dropping from packing too much late with footwear that's not beefy enough. But then you get into that. That's, you know what? Let's get off of him. Let's talk about boots, five toes. Uh, what are those called? The five, five fingers. Five, yeah, fingers. five fingers. And so what I have noticed with that, you have my side of the fence, which is the side of the fence that tried lightweight boots, didn't walk around barefoot enough as a kid probably. Um, and now I wear custom orthotics and a beefy boot. Now you ask more of a purist. I should be walking around barefoot like a caveman to stiffen my foot up. And it's like, well, if I would have started at a younger age, I probably would agree with that. But we're too far gone. I'm in my mid forties. Like I've got to, you know, we're doing triage here. Like I got to make it work for what I got. And they're like, oh, what you need to do is wear barefoot shit all year round, and you're you're gonna become well. Okay, well, what did, what did what did caveman live to? A ripe age of twenty eight. Like, you know, it's like, Hey, let's, let's bring everything up to, to bear here. Like how many humans could handle wearing a five finger packing an elk out and not get broken bones in their, in their footwear? Well, I've seen guys are like, well, remember Corey Arola, he wore in freaking Solomon shoes with those little gaiters and snow. And I'm like, dude, you couldn't go on a sheep hunt with that. And there's no way you're crossing boulder fields, banging your ankles with tennis shoes. He's like, Oh, I played soccer. 
I don't know that that would, would be good advice for multiple people. What are you guys' thoughts on that as I'm rambling on? Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, for the, the boots I was wearing, they're, they're, they have a pretty decent sole on them, but they're, they are very flexible. I wouldn't want to wear them for a pack out, a heavy pack out, but for these lighter trips. And I basically bought them because I wanted something for, for turkey season where I wasn't wearing like a super stiff mountaineering boot when I didn't need it. Um, and then also for like coyote hunting where I'm out in the plains and it's not too cold. I, I kind of prefer walking around in a more flexible boot, but, um, yeah, for the heavy pack outs, I prefer the, the really heavy, uh, ankle support and the stiffer sole. Um, that's what I've, I've come to like. So I have bad ankles from 20 years of skateboarding. So <laughs> I step on a pebble, I roll my ankle. So I need a lot of ankle support. So I, I usually go with a stiffer boot. Yeah. And I think for, for the, the boots that I was wearing, I wear them all the time. I mean, I go, I do a lot of like the lighter weight hiking, like maybe like 20, 25 pounds in my pack. And I wear them all the time comfortably. This one, I knew that the distance wasn't going to be that far. Um, so I got away with it, but I think if I were to extend that like another five or six miles, I would absolutely go like a full, full grain leather boot, you know, something that has a lot more rigidity to it because there were a couple of times walking down on the trail. I mean, I could feel the the sharpness of the rocks that I was stepping on, you know, and we're carrying what, 35, 40 pounds in our packs. I mean, that extra weight on top of the, your, your footbed. Oh my God, you can, you can definitely feel it. So, I mean, I like, I like having light boots. I like having, you know, lighter weight equipment. Cause I know I can go a little bit further, but you know, when you add in the, the multiplier effect of having a heavier pack, it kind of re- reduces the, or should say it shortens the distance that you can really travel. Anything else as far as what we're talking about, kind of gear and, and, and footwear, like I mostly because we get so many questions about this. We well, oh, for actually while we're talking about that, for anybody that's about to message in and say what fishing gear we were using, which didn't matter because we didn't catch it. There's a video David put up on Kafaru Cast, but like sleeping uh, pads and and well, let's talk about stoves because you brought the bush, buddy. We didn't cover that earlier uh, too too much. I mean, we did a little bit. When the fuel, when COVID happened, I think I went and peed when you were talking about this or I was on the phone. Were you talking about like potentially having to use a multi-fuel stove? Um, if we, we were just get talking fuel. about the the lack of fuel in, in store. A lot of people were camping. A lot of people were just swooping it up because they were concerned with not having electricity or a means to cook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like with a multi-fuel stove, which is what I started with you know that even the smell to this day reminds me of my childhood of running a multi like a you know white gas stove like a oh an msr um, whisper light international international yeah, yeah. whisper light international i use a primus omni light tie a little bit now they work i mean they and and i mean that when the world ends that's what most people are going to grab if it's not like a bush buddy type of a stove but there's only old timers i know backpack with those things now they're just they're just heavier and you said it took 25 minutes for you to boil water. So I think, Amy, I think it was a minute and eight seconds to boil 16 ounces of water in that MSR reactor. So, but again, if we run out of fuel, we, we can't hardly do shit. I mean, you could put that in a fire and make it mm-hmm. work, but um, there's pros and cons to everything. When you get into the ultralight, super weight weenie crowd, um, you start talking about alcohol stoves. Um, do you want to talk about those a little bit? I'll oh, give God. my experience right. when you're done. So, yeah. So the alcohol stoves, number one, you don't, many times you don't even realize that they're on fire when they're on fire. And I've met a lot of people that have gotten some serious burns from them. Uh, it produces a, a 
decent flame, but I mean, they take a while and you're still carrying a liquid fuel with you. A lot of people will just make them out of soda cans, but you can get some of the, the nicer ones from like, I think uh, Primus makes them. I think Vargo makes them. The one uh, I had was a Vargo, I think. Yeah. And some of them are actually dual fuel uh uh, alcohol stoves where you can use like a like an SBIT tab on top of it. Um, it's not bad. I mean, I know a lot of lightweight guys go with them, but the flame is not that strong in a windy environment. So a lot of people will actually like dig a little cat hole, put the stove in there and then put the pot on top of the stove to kind of prevent the, the wind from taking over. But again, everything's a trade-off. Um, you can source that fuel pretty much anywhere in the world. So if you're traveling and you're backpacking, say, across Europe or whatever, you can you can get fuel, denatured alcohol in almost every hardware store. Um, but you are going to be committing a good amount of your time to just watching your uh, watching your stove uh, boil water. And the other thing is, is that you may not boil water on a full, uh, you know, fill up of your stove. So you might have to take the pot off, fill up your stove again, relight it, put it back on. So... <laughs> I mean, again, everything's a trade-off, takes a little bit of time, a little bit of vulnerability to the wind. Are they super lightweight? Do they have no moving parts? Yes. Um, but you got to be able to accept the, the negatives with the positives. So, uh, for Frank, you've used the reactor forever, basically. Uh, what did you have? Did you have a Snowpeak Giga? It was a pocket rocket. Pocket rocket. And that one's like, what, 39 bucks or mm-hmm. something? I think I paid 50 It was like the, the, the latest one. one. Yeah. yeah. That, and that's an awesome stove. It doesn't, the only thing, you know, in, in wind, it doesn't do as well. And you had a titanium uh, pot, which is, you know, lighter. But again, as, as we're talking about this, as you, as you're get, get dialing your gear in, it, if you're going to buy like well-rounded stuff, meaning you, if you can't buy multiple, so like uh, a tarp, a three C or excuse me, a tarp, a four season, um, uh, like a, a Hilleberg or something like that, and then a Kafaro sawtooth with a stove, that's going to cover you for just about everything, but not everyone can afford that. Footwear's kind of the same way. Can, conveying that to, to people to make sure they get the right gear is, is, is really what we try to focus on here. And, and, and I'm, <laughs> as I'm talking about this, I'm trying not to be too much of an asshole. Um, you really don't want to base your gear list off of someone that's only done it a couple times is really what we, we kind of see. And it sounds like the bushcraft stuff that happens quite a bit. Yeah. When you see someone who's posting, Oh, this is the, the knife I use all the time and the knife is pristine. There's not a scratch on it. Right. Or, you know, this is my cooking pot. I cook over fires all the time and there's no soot on it. Right. Because maybe you don't have hardwood and, uh, you know, hardwood won't leave that residue on the bottom the way that pine or fir will. Um, but when you see people that are that are great at gear lays, like the flat lays, and you don't see them out in the, out in the woods practicing, um, or when someone claims to be an instructor and yet you never see any class photos, that is a giant, giant red flag. Um, you know, you got to really, really, if you really want the best advice for like the bushcraft and like the survival community, look at the guy who has like almost no Instagram followers, but he's been around <laughs> for like 40 years, yeah. you know, and he's using a knife that probably was picked up at a gas station. And, you know, it, it looks like it's, it's been sharpened down to, uh, to like a fillet knife. Yeah. That's the guy you might want to take some advice from, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the curses of Instagram. I mean, as great as it is for getting ideas, it's so easy to put ideas out there and anyone can do it. And that can lead to people being equipped with the wrong shit. 
Yeah. Not to mention like sponsorships and like people promoting products that they get for free or whatever, you know. That doesn't happen, David. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this podcast is brought to you by kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. Well, and I mean, I, that's not to say that some people who who are sponsored aren't sponsored by companies that make good stuff. It's just there's a lot of people that do do push maybe subpar. Um, you know, gear or, or whatever. And, and I, I get it. Um, you know, I just don't try not to get too much hate mail here as I talk about <laughs> this, but you have different people that switch gear. Well, Frank, you don't switch too much cause you don't like to, but like we test gear all the time. Um, there's a big difference between people testing gear all the time. And then you see kind of their tried and true one or two things. And then there's another thing where uh, a sponsor drops them and then all of a sudden they pick up it's the, the, the next optic or the next bow or the next whatever. That's different than testing. You know, that's that's them getting paid to, to talk about it. And then guys that test gear all the time, you can generally tell, you know, those guys because their whole page, there's something different every week because they're just screwing around with it to, to speak about it. Um, I like those pages because usually those guys, you find a lot of them that speak highly on the high parts and low on the low parts. Like there's pros and cons to to, to, to all of it. Um, but when you're once you're paid, you're kind of fucked. I mean, you're you're talking about what they want you to talk about. Trying to think, what would be probably the most? What do you, what would you say is the most marketed backpacking, backpack hunting uh, item that is blown out of proportion because of marketing? Optics would be the one I would say first. Optics, boots, bows. Yeah. Well, the good thing with bows, at least all bows are good. Like the, you know, for the most part. Like when I say that, meaning you're not going to get a bad bow, but. And when you see a guy say that I wouldn't have got it done with this bow, he's full of shit because they're no. pretty. <laughs> footwear is one I would definitely say because you can get some pretty subpar footwear and and get yourself into trouble. Is there crap like that with the bushcraft community? I mean, there there's a lot of gadgets, right? And there's always the allure of the gadget. Um, one thing that I think I kind of showed everyone on the trip this past week was like, hey, check this thing out. And it was that stupid fire bellows, right? Like that thing. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big gadget guy, but I know that I like it because. You know, if you're if you're not familiar with this and you're listening, it essentially looks like an old car antenna, and it expands and it allows you to concentrate your breath into the fire. So it's great for starting your fire first thing in the morning after it's been burning all night. Like you can get coals, you know, to to spark up again. But in terms of like the gear that's that's kind of pushed towards uh, like the bushcraft and survival community, a lot of flashlights, right? Like guys are like, oh my god, it's got this many lumens. Well, lumens and candela are two different things, right? And not only that, but what is the throw? Is it a spot? Is it a flood? I mean, people just want to be attracted to, you know, the next flashy thing or shiny thing. And flashlights usually within like the survival community, it's like, oh my God, this thing can put out this output and it's, it's carried by, you know, insert whatever special forces you want here. It's like, you are not special forces. Uh, you know, I am not, you know, very few people are. But people want that connection to those, you know, really, you know, cool guy communities. Um, so I would say flashlights definitely get that that attention, that rock star attention. I would also say uh, there's some shelters that get that get brought up in the survival community, like you know, easy up, like pop up type shelters, um, water filters. You know, everyone loves the Grail water bottle, and you know it works great. But we were talking about this at around the camp, like when those filter elements freeze, they can crack. You know, and, uh, you know, people need to have backups, right? We talk about primary alternate contingency and emergency planning, right? Pace planning. And 
you know, if your if your primary method of, of treating your water is a filter that can crack, well, what's your your alternate? Well, I've got drops. Great. What's your your uh, contingent plan? Well, my contingent, I drink Frank's pee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the source or <laughs> into a container. Is that how desperate? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Don't yeah. make eye contact. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Lemon flavored. <laughs> yeah. I trying to think headlamp wise. Uh, there's probably. 10,000 headlamps mm. on the market right now. You've been using the same one forever, haven't you? Yeah, Black Diamond Icon. Yeah. I've had it probably for seven or eight years. So like that Icon, when I had it, um, there's a little plastic piece that the, the thread, the, the bolt goes through and threads into this little, it's almost like um, God, like a small arrow that's threaded on the inside. And when that breaks, that bitch is flipping around in your face like a pinata and you cannot fix it. So that one went out the door the moment, because I used to promote the hell out of that one. I really like it. It's still good. Um, but what's that thing, 59 bucks? They're expensive now. I think they're 80, 90 bucks. 80, 90. I, th- I went to um, Princeton Tech Remix. Uh, I like it. Just, you hit The first time you hit the button, it's a red lens, and it's 300 lumens or something. The battery life was good. But, um, yeah, I started looking at Surefires at one point. The mother min- of God yeah. and everything holy, those fuckers are expensive. And heavy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're heavy. all aluminum. Yeah, yeah, they're heavy. That Zebra light, have you ever used one of those? Yeah, I've got one. They're bright. Mm-hmm. But I had one up against my flesh of my fucking forehead trying to get, we were getting cliffed out, and uh, it left a burn <laughs> They get circle. warm. Oh, fuck, yeah, it got warm. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, man, I'm hot. Jesus, it was that headlamp, but... That thing, the throw. Have you screwed around with those? No, I never. I never tried that. Oh, you fuck around and see the future with that thing. I don't know what's that one's twelve hundred lumens. Yeah, or they drain battery pretty quick though. That's uh, I don't ever trade-off. use it. Yeah, another mm-hmm. trade off right there. Mm-hmm. Petzl's got a cool one now that's got like a technology where if you tilt your head down, it kind of recognizes that you're reading most likely, and if you tilt your head up, you. I don't know if you have to program it if it comes pre-programmed, but it automatically changes the level of intensity of the light. So if you're looking down, it, it's a dimmer function. If you look straight down the trail, it brightens up. Um, those are pretty badass. Um, Petzl, I still use my my Tika, and I think the other one is the Tactica, which is just a different color, you know. But uh, you know, I think one of the other things that people don't realize is like how many different batteries do you carry? You know, like do you carry the CR123 flashlight in your pocket plus the AAA batteries for your GPS plus the AA batteries for you know, whatever electronic that you have, like, you know, it, it's a good idea when you're planning your gear to find electronics that all use the same battery. So you don't have to carry so many different batteries. I'm trying to think as far as highlights of when we're hiking in or whatever, we're talking uh, different uh, potential issues or, 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 or problems or, or gear wise. Um, trekking poles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The baskets, right. We were talking yeah. about the importance of having baskets on your trekking poles in the snow. I don't know how many times I put that freaking trekking pole in and it went straight to the bottom. Mm-hmm. No basket on mine. And I have uh, powder baskets I can put on mine. Um, I just had the regular ones on and they would just go right to the right to the ground mm-hmm. all the way through the snow. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Luckily, that was that was only like a mile up there or something. It wasn't too terribly, too terribly bad. Um, yeah, you broke your trekking pole, didn't you? Yeah, the uh, clasp, the lower clasp on one of the poles cracked and... I lost a section of pole. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking it in the dirt too much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord. That's funny. Oh, uh, shit. Um, yeah, I oh, I had those uh, Z poles from Black Diamond. There's, they're not too bad, but as I was wedging my fat ass up, they 
pull apart when I pull them back out of the ground a few times. They did fine. I gave Amy one and I took the other one um, going, you know, whatever, just to get through the, it didn't help that much from, from post holing, but I'm trying to think anything highlighted that we're missing as far as gear goes that people are going to ask about. Oh, I brought that foldable bowl, the fossils. Those things are handy. You guys had titanium cups, I think, for for what you were doing. Those foldable bowls, I've used those off and on forever. I think they're, for all three, they're an ounce and a half, two and a half ounces for uh, the plate, the cup, and the bowl or whatever. Have you ever used those, the foldable deals? No, no. I know uh, I I use a lot of, like, the titanium, the metal plates and stuff like that. Um, Those foldable bowls are pretty cool. They're not the same as the squishy bowls, right? No, those are heavy for what they are. Yeah. those are like a silicone foldable yeah. bowl. No, these are flat, and then you, they're like origami. You fold them. In fact, whoever invented them for the first time would fold into place, and then Fossils came out with a snap fit, and then the other company went out of business because nobody wanted to try to fold it into place. But I just use it to keep my pot clean and then, you know, put whatever, pour it in there, and then they go flat so they're easy to wash off or clean off. Um, oh, that's one should we, we did talk about water filtration a little bit. Um but yeah, let's let's talk about that before we get off here as far as, you know, we talked about primary, secondary, and alternate. At this point now, I use MSR Aquatabs, Aquamira, or the Steripin. Um, you had a pump. I had a pump, yeah. Yeah, I had a water filter. Um, and you had made that comment about cross-contamination with the with the tubes, you know, the in-tube and the out-tube. Um, yeah, that's it's definitely a problem. Um, and then Frank has, you know, brought up also that they get clogged. You know, if you're you're in a in a low mossy, water. Yeah. yeah, some some sort of mossy or whatever mossy water, algae water. I know a few years ago when I uh, when I brought mine on a mule deer hunt, it clogged up probably on the first half liter of water, and mm-hmm. it was a lot of work getting getting water for those last those few days. Yeah, not, <laughs> I had not to, to sacrifice my uh, toothbrush, <laughs> and it still plugged up, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it it happens. I don't. I, I'm not saying the steropins like perfect or the the aqua tabs the thing that's nice though is that they're lightweight and the aqua tabs i can carry a pile of them and weigh basically nothing i mean and, and they always work i mean if you're getting out of an elk wallow they're still going to taste like piss but um it, they do work work well and you were just boiling your water with the yeah I, I brought the uh the sawyer squeeze and you know because we're at a at a lake and not like a running body of water it's hard to fill up the 16 ounce bag from just like a like a pool um usually when you got that running water it kind of forces the bag and you get like a true 16 ounces out of it so i did that for like four or five times and i'm like you know screw this i'm just gonna start boiling water and then i would put the boiling water pot into the snowbank and let the snowbank cool it off and you know i always had water and and that was an easy way to do it i also had the the aqua mirror drops so it's like seven parts of part a seven parts of part b for every every quart and you know you let it sit for five minutes uh, and then you, you pour it into your water and it's good to go i've never gotten sick off of those um you know one of the things that we were talking about too with with all the the water and and all the the hydration and everything like that were like just drink additives um you know what did i see i mean i brought i brought uh or you guys had liquid iv i had element which is like a salt replacement um and then you guys gave me something that was badass. That was that that fat, the adapted fats. Yeah, which I don't. They're not really in in business anymore. Or at least we can't find them. But I love that stuff. Uh, and I think on one podcast you talked about like how many calories you should try to squeak out of every ounce. And I think you said like the magic number was what two hundred 
for every ounce. 120 an ounce is about as high as you can get. Yeah. Like those, that was that, that fat packet is right up there. So, you know, if there's a, another company that can do that, please message me because <laughs> I, I like, I kind of was a little upset, you know, a little bit of my soul got ripped out when I found <laughs> out that that company's not around anymore. Yeah. Bring them back. Bring them back. Yeah. Uh, Frank, you got anything you want to add? Um, did you want to talk about any of the Fieldcraft stuff or what do you guys have, oh, yeah, have sure. coming up? Yeah. So, uh, I'm out here, you know, representing Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, we're a company in Heber City, Utah. And, you know, we've been hanging out with the Kafaro guys for a long time. Uh, we do all sorts of different types of training. Um, you know, on one side of the house, we have pistol, rifle, uh, precision rifle, um, combatives. The other side of the house, we've got, you know, bushcraft survival courses. We have land navigation courses. Um, we're doing more with mobility. So when I leave here, I'll be going to uh, Spanish Fork, Utah, teaching a three-day mobility course, which will cover a lot of survival skills and overlanding and driving skills for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We do a lot of different things. Uh, obviously, a lot of online content, you know, paid content, you know, over on Locals. Um, you know, we've got a whole host of very interesting uh, SMEs that work for us. Mike Lover is the CEO. I mean, he spent a career in, in military special forces. Kevin Owens is the, you know, former winner of the uh, international sniper competition and, and lead sniper school, another green beret. We got some really, really solid folks over there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to partner up more with Kafaru and, and do some joint ventures. Uh, Aaron and I were talking about a, a hunter prep class this fall, which I'm super excited to, to host. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously if you're friends of Kafaru, you're friends of ours and, you know, we're, we want to make sure that people get out there and they're getting out there in the best possible state that they can be in. Um, because we know that it's so easy to, to just, you know, throw caution to the wind, but that's, that's not how we roll. We want to make sure that you guys are getting out there and, uh, you're well prepared to, to deal with whatever comes your way. What, where can they find, uh, you guys got a couple different Instagram pages and then a website. Yeah. Uh, the website is fieldcraftsurvival.com. Instagram is at fieldcraftsurvival. If you guys are into fitness, there's Fieldcraft Survival Fit. If you want to see the shenanigans that happens behind the scenes, we have the Fieldcraft Survival Headquarters page. Um, you know, we're branching off doing a lot of like leather and traditional stuff. That's Fieldcraft Frontier. Um, Fieldcraft Mobility is all about overlanding. I mean, we've got a lot of Instagram pages. You just type in Fieldcraft, I guarantee you're gonna it's gonna pop up. I'm at uh, Estella Wild Ed, so E S T E L A. Wild Ed, that's just short for wilderness education, which is what I used to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, you guys can find us there and, you know, feel free to ask questions because we're, we're happy to answer them. And then you have a, a book called Kevin Estella, how to not die good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your, what's your, what, your, you have a survival book. Yeah. So that, that book came out in 2019. It's still doing really well. It's, it's been in the top 25 to 50, you know, survival books on Amazon. It's 101 skills you need to survive in the woods. Um, it's been approved by a lot of folks in different communities from the primitive community to modern survival to, you know, military guys. Um, and you know, it's, it's a book that I'm proud of. I, it's got about 80,000 words in it. And, uh, you know, I still get fan mail from people saying, Hey, I went out and I tried skill number 77 or 84 or whatever it may be. Um, and then if you just type my name into Google and type author, you'll find, any number of like 150 something magazine articles I've written. And again, I'll, I'll be more than happy to answer, you know, read your questions. If anyone's like, Hey, I read this or, you know, what was that? What was that watch you were wearing in that one photo where you're holding a trekking pole? It's like, <laughs> I'll answer that. So, so hit me up guys. I'm happy to help you out.
Cool. No, I appreciate well, I appreciate you coming out either way and then obviously what you guys are doing for the community. And uh, yeah, we had fun. Too bad we didn't catch anything but the clap. Um, <laughs> Frank got the clap. <laughs> I, I transmitted it to you guys. David got pulmonary edema. Yeah. Your, your lungs were screwed up for a little while. Yeah, they were pretty fucked up. Yeah. They're still they're still messed up. If you can hear me clearing my throat and all of that, I'm still coughing stuff up. He was gurgly. Um, yeah. Had looked like the uh, beginning st- uh, stages of what I had when I got sick. It happens. Yeah. yeah. AIDS. There go my... Uh, my dreams of, you know, climbing Everest, <laughs> not going to happen. We about did last year on the goat hunt, but all right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. T- check out Fieldcraft Survival and Kevin Estella. Uh, check out uh, David D. Austin and Frank's My Fans Only page um, as well. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate you tuning in.